I heard from my sponsor was, I don't always have to go to a meeting for me. Maybe I can share something that somebody else needs to see. And I also have to keep that in check because my ego can get a little inflated too. And I can go, no, people need to hear what I have to say at this meeting. So I'm going to go <laughs> and make sure that they hear me. That's also not true. So. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Hiya, Sam. What's up, Donnie Wani Ding Dong? Sam, are you still going to those A&A meetings? Those A&A meetings? <laughs> uh, yes, I am. In fact, I went to a new one yesterday. Well, new to me. Yeah. Um, it was an online group's third anniversary, and they held it as a hybrid meeting as a special event. It was a panel discussion on many paths to spirituality. You know, the AA pamphlet. Yeah. The group is Tarot Topics, and I wanted to check it out because I'm exploring spirituality. Okay. Before it, I met with a new friend to talk about other explorations of spirituality and how they relate to recovery. And, you know, being a major skeptic, I got that little atheist thing going on, too. I'm looking forward to moving through all this, and I'm using the set-aside prayer. I'm keeping that in mind. How are you using the set-aside prayer? Well, you know, we've got that H-O-W those uh, three words, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And quite simply, I'm just trying to be open-minded instead of shutting down things, prejudging, things like that. Yeah, we had a guest that was talking about the set-aside prayer. Oh, we've had more than one, I would think. It's, it's a popular thing. Yeah. Well, that was the first time I heard about it. It's just like, I'm not going to fight this. I'm going to set it aside. Oh, well, Don, if that's the first time you've heard about this, I think that you need to be going to some more meetings. I, just... <laughs> I, go, to a, I go to a lot of meetings. <laughs> In fact, I was at one uh, last Thursday, and that whole meeting was just crackling with one-liners. I don't know what happened, but it seemed like people kept coming up with these things. I was going, I got to write that down, you know, and I carry a little booklet that I have since I first got sober. But I don't write down things people say all the time, but I wrote down two of them that night. Oh, yeah. What'd you get? I am trying to live in today, not in the wreckage of my future. Ooh, that's a good twist. I like it because in the big book, we talk about cleaning up the wreckage of our past. And it's kind of a habit back before I got sober to think about the future. It's like, it's going to be terrible catastrophizing. Yeah. Thinking of all the horrible things that are going to happen and worrying about them and, you know, and making up this whole scenario in the future. No, I'm going to live in today. And it's a much easier way to live. It was beautiful. I like that one. That's a really good one. I'm going to hold on to it. Yeah. Now there was another one, right? Yeah. And you won't like this one because I didn't like it. This made me squirm. And I've been using this on a daily basis. Ask yourself this question. Right now, I am selfishly trying to control blank. Don. <laughs> exactly. It's like there's always something that I'm trying to control. And, you know, I don't even, don't even think I'm doing it. But 
you know, nowadays it tends to be smaller things usually. I've been working on this for a while, but even so, I'm always like trying to maybe push a little bit here or there just to have a little influence, don't you know? You don't want to be God. <laughs> you want to be a demigod. <laughs> I want to be like a virus and slowly oh, infect God. the situation and change things slowly, you know? And... <laughs> Don, you scare me sometimes. Yeah, well, you should be. <laughs> hey, Don, today we'll be talking with Nikki N. from Forest Lake, Minnesota, and DK from Alexandria, Virginia. We'll see if we can interest them in some discussion based on hashtag heard in a meeting post, too. It's going to be good. You know, both of them have been in the military audio project. Ooh, I think we talked with someone about that a couple of weeks ago. That's right. Hey, Don, how can I support the Grapevine podcast? Since The Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even on our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. What? If you want to support the podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store. My name is E, and I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is the 7th of November, 2009, and my home group is Women's Way in Alexandria, Virginia. Hi, D. Hi, D. Hi, D. Hi, D. Ho. <laughs> and Nikki, will you please introduce yourself? Hey, everybody. My name is Nikki. I'm from Forest Lake, Minnesota. My sobriety date is on or around uh, December 8th, 2017. My home group is Look to This Day. We meet on Zoom at 6.30 in the morning on Wednesdays. Ooh, hi, Nikki. And 6.30 in the morning. That's a commitment to sobriety. Awesome. Yes, thank you. My <laughs> claim is that I am not, nor have I ever been a morning person, but these women will get me out of bed on time to, I don't even have to get dressed because it's over Zoom. I love it. It's great. I was about to say, what do you roll out of bed, <laughs> grab a cup of coffee and get on the, get online? 100%, 620, the alarm goes off, 625, I got my coffee, a little bit of fellowship. We're good. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Who are we going to start with? Dee. Hi, Dawn. Tell me about when you first got sober, what was going on inside of you? How did you come to the decision that you needed to go to AA? I came to the decision to go to AA because of a spiritual hole in my soul. I'm grateful to have a long list of not yet, yet standing for your eligible too. So I not have trouble at work. I did not have consequences. I, I did not have anyone concerned personally or medically about my drinking. I wasn't a daily drinker. However, when I started drinking, I couldn't stop. And I am so grateful none of those are required to come into AA. I had so much willpower and intellect mm -hmm. as far as I was concerned. I had two incredible careers, and so I just had convinced myself for so many years that I wasn't an alcoholic, 
Yet my dad had found the rooms a few years before I did. And I'm incredibly grateful that my employer has an employee assistance program. I did some training with that EAP. I heard about AA again. So I'd heard about it from dad. And then it, they did a, a mock AA meeting that I can laugh about now. Um, was this just to make you comfortable with AA so that you could have the nerve to go sometime? As management, we were required, as in the commercial aviation world, we have a, a specific path to get the pilots back onto the flight deck. And I, I was not an alcoholic, to be clear. Ah. Back then, I was management. So you, your training was how EAP works and is useful to the company. Correct. To help co-workers get back into their job. And that conference was in spring of 2008. And that mustard seed that was planted in that mock AA meeting grew. Then 18 months later, I was in the rooms. So it was dad found the room, my EAP training. And the third piece was I got stationed at the Pentagon. So I no longer had 12 hours bottled to throttle. Bottle to throttle. So 12 hours bottle to throttle means you can't have anything to drink 12 hours before you enter the plane. Correct. And not so with a desk. <laughs> I started, we lovingly refer to flying a desk with four drawers. <laughs> a D4D. And uh, <laughs> we got to have our acronyms. <laughs> but my drinking really scared me when, when the rules were removed. I, that was the thing. I'm still following the rules. I'm not breaking the rules. Oh, yeah. I, I, like I, I'm not an alcoholic. My last drunk on November 6th, um, I called my dad and he asked me some of those 20 questions. He had no idea I was drinking to blackout. I just, I hid it really well from everybody. Page 30 of the big book, being convinced to my innermost self, I am an alcoholic. And, and I am because first meeting I went to here in Alexandria was a women's meeting and the relief I felt and that 18 months prior at that EAP training, it was the same thing. It was the stinking thinking, the magic magnifying mind, all all the stuff that was a relief. That's that was my drinking and thinking. Was there an obstacle going to AA, considering that you were in the military and with your position in flying? That that if you were to go to AA, it would be the end of your career. Is that not true? Certainly, there is a stigma associated with a mental disease, and I had a top-secret clearance, and what's going to happen to my clearance, and all of the ripple effect, and the beauty of walking into the room self-identifying as an alcoholic is that I didn't have to tell my boss. I just started going to AA meetings. I had friends at the Pentagon that knew I had decided to get sober. So I wasn't required to tell anybody because I did not have consequences. And AA made that very clear. And so I didn't. I didn't tell my flight doctor. I didn't tell my boss at the Pentagon. I just started going AA meetings and found the solution on my own. Definitely a stigma. So your consequences were emotional and internal enough to get you to surrender so that if you had continued, you might have had some consequences that would have ended your career. 
Exactly. And I, I didn't hear the not yet until I got stationed in Georgia. I may have heard it before, but I couldn't hear it. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> until I got to Georgia, because getting sober in Northern Virginia, we have monthly gift. Everybody has a top secret clearance, at least a secret clearance. Like it was really easy to compare in everybody around me. And then I get the middle of Georgia and I see young people 10 years younger than me with double digit recovery. <laughs> I was in my 40s when I got sober. How, how does that happen? And, and really starting to see in the meetings down there of all the other things that can bring you into the room besides self-identification. So much. Nikki, what brought you into the rooms? My story is so similar to Dee's. It's kind of starting to freak me out a little bit. Like you guys must have done some digging into our groups that we go to in our local areas and been like, these two are the same people, right? Yeah. We, job, we you checked guys. your permanent record. <laughs> yeah. I don't have one and neither does Dee. This is so weird. Uh, how I got into the rooms was a spiritual malfunction in my life. I had two seeds planted about a year and a half apart. The first one was... I had an aunt who died with 42 years of sobriety and she lived in California and I'm still in Minnesota. So we flew out there and it was like a whole thing amongst our family, like whether or not we were going to bring a bottle of wine to dinner with her son, with my cousin. And at some point in that conversation, it was like 15 minutes. I'm like, you guys, I don't think other people worry this much about whether or not to bring a bottle of wine to dinner. I don't even remember what our final decision was, but I remember that evening after her uh, memorial service, sitting in the hot tub with my families, my sisters and my, my mom, and we're all sitting around and everybody's talking about how their drinking doesn't interfere with their lives. My sisters are saying, I've never been so drunk. I've called in sick the next day. I've never missed an obligation because of my drinking. I don't get so drunk that I black out. And during all these things, I'm going, yeah, me neither. Or yeah, me too. I, you know, and the whole time I'm going, I called in sick last Wednesday because I was so hungover. I couldn't go to work. I can't remember the last time I drank and didn't pass out. You know, all these things I was feeling other than, and I'm going, maybe I really do have a problem. Maybe I have something more in common with my aunt than I knew. And I got back from that trip and I went to my first meeting. It didn't stick that time, right? I didn't hear it. So about a year and a half later, I was babysitting my niece and she was eight months old at the time. I had her for four full days all to myself. And the whole time I kept thinking, how much can I drink without being too drunk to take care of this baby? And they got us at some point, something in my head went, this isn't right. This thinking that you have isn't right. You're insane. And that's okay because there's tons of other people who are also insane. So go find them. And so I, I finally started taking AA seriously. And yeah, in my first like real meeting that I went to where I was like Don said earlier, like totally ready to surrender. I heard it. There was a woman behind me. She stood up and she got her one year chip. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even begin to imagine what a year of not drinking looks like. It was terrifying. And at the same time, thank God, again, somebody went, how'd you do it? And she goes, it's just a bunch of one days at a time. And I'm like, oh, I need that. That's why they say one day at a time. I get it. Like, so then, you know, I did all this stuff. I got a sponsor. I did, you know, started going through the steps and it was just, it's just a bunch of one days at a time. So 
when you introduced yourself at the start of the show, you gave us a uh, about December 8, I think is what you said. Yeah, on or around. What's going on there? What happened was I, I stopped drinking in December of 2017. What I didn't know is this idea of neck up sobriety, that it's not just alcohol. And I smoked pot at some point within maybe those first 90, 120. I don't remember when it was. I went through my calendar. I talked to the people that I was smoking pot with. I went, when was that? Because this was, it came out in my fourth and fifth step. And my sponsor was like, you know, you got to change your sobriety date. I was like, well, no, that's not how this works. I stopped. I haven't drank since September 8th. And she's like, no, you'll sit with it for a little bit. You'll get kind immediately. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. She's like, just hold on. Just pray. You know, what do we do when we're not willing? We pray for the willingness. So eventually I got to that point. So now I just say on or around December 8th. And at the end of the day, to me, it doesn't really matter. Like, I caught the mistake. I was honest about it. If maybe I'm, you know, three months off, maybe my sobriety date is March of 18. Okay. Am I, does that make me a liar? Like I'm not doing it intentionally. I'm not doing it on purpose, but I do think it's an important part of my story because I have met so many people that it's not just alcohol. It's something else too, whether it's hot or other drugs, or, you know, outside AA issues. So that, it's just part of my story. Yeah, it's um, pointing to Sam <laughs> very quickly because Don will probably speed this up. It's what he does now. <laughs> uh, my last drink uh, was June 21, so my sobriety date was June 22, 2003. Haven't had a drink since then. But bad ideas sounded good, and I started using uh, diet pills and poppers in a way that's not sober for me. And I reset my sobriety date to March 17, 2012. Neck up sobriety is important. What happened to me was I realized, whoa, initially was like, I'm not going to do these things. And then I did them again. So I, I reset. And it's an important thing, I think, for us to talk about. Was that difficult for you, Sam, to change your day? Because I struggled with it for a while. Like, it took me a minute. I was coming up on nine years at that point. Um, I sat down with two people who had more time in sobriety than I did. One of them expressed concern to me that doing this would send me out. Because mm. what it, what better reason does an alcoholic need to drink than I'm starting over anyway? Yes. I knew I was okay because that thought had not popped into my head. Yeah, it was difficult. The first year, my ego was bruised badly. Mm -hmm. But when I look back on it, the fact that I did this, the quality of sobriety I have today is so much better. My ego is not my amigo. Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. Dee, have you ever struggled since you got sober? It's interesting. Uh, I remember going to Virginia Beach for the Air Force and I was in a meeting there. I heard somebody talk about how they were a one chip wonder. Um, and I called my sponsor and I said, what do they mean? What are they talking about? And he said, well, what they're saying is they haven't had a relapse. And he said, what I'd like you to think of is, did you ever try to stop drinking before you came into the room? So like, absolutely. And I could put days and weeks together without drinking. And then I'd find some emotion, feeling, I'll show you, I'll drink this poison. So sure. He said, but you have relapse in your history. It's not since you came into AA. Mm -hmm. I've certainly had moments where, uh, why me, why me, why me? And 
one of my favorite guys in recovery down in Georgia, he used to say, why not, UD? Why not? <laughs> Ooh. So, Nikki, we'll start with you on this one. Is there anything about being in the military that made it particularly difficult to get sober? For me, yes. And I don't think this is unique to the military. I know there's a lot of professions out there that glamorize alcohol, and alcohol is a big part of the culture. That is also true in the military. I know it's not just specific to the Minnesota National Guard, which I'm in. It's not specific to the Army, like it's any military branch. We have ceremonies that are dedicated to honoring alcohol. It's called a grog. It's a huge bowl full of all different kinds of alcohol. Different leaders walk up and say, this one's for the field artillery. And they pour whatever liquor represents field artillery into the bowl. And, you know, they sprinkle a little bit of punch on top and everybody drinks out of it. And when I was three months sober from alcohol, I had to go to this event. It was our annual ball. So we all get dressed up in our dress military uniforms and go and... I was so nervous and I didn't have the option not to go in my head because I was anonymous in the program. I thought that meant I couldn't tell anybody I was in AA. I didn't want to tell anybody because I was at the point in my sobriety where I was still feeling a lot of shame that I needed it in the first place. Thankfully, I don't feel that way today. So I talked with my sponsor at the time before I went. I said, hey, I'm super nervous. I'm full time in the guard it is a unwritten rule that you attend. You have to go. So she gave me some pointers. She said, put your 90-day chip in your shoe and you'll feel, you'll, you'll just know it's just so you know it's there, not in your pocket, put it in your shoe. Drive yourself if you can so that you have an out so you can leave whenever you want. Don't offer to drive anybody else, you know, have your own transportation and call me. I'm available. I'm here. If something trickles, you're getting that, you know, stinking thinking like Dee was talking about. And the fourth one was before you walk in, just sit in the car, five minutes, two minutes, whatever you got, just pray. God, please help me not drink today. That's it. And I didn't. And this other thing, and I don't know if this is just a military thing or not, or if it's a women's thing or something, but it's, you know, people are offering me drinks. Hey, can I buy you a drink? No, thanks. I'm just drinking Diet Coke tonight. Oh, are you pregnant? Like, that's it. That's never <laughs> happened to me. I, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's. So I just said, no, I'm not, just not drinking today. That was all I had to say. Like the most unrealistic fear or illogical fear I think I had was walking into the rooms and being worried that I would see somebody I knew because I couldn't put the two and two together. You know, people don't go into AA meetings to catch you to find out if you're an alcoholic, but that's where my mind was at the time. Mm -hmm. If I see them there, that means they're also there as an alcoholic to get help. And I didn't yet understand how big our tradition is on anonymity and how much I can trust that. Dee, what about you? What is your experience in the military? Well, Nikki was talking about her tip. In a flight suit, there's a ton of zipper pockets. So I put my tip. I went to uh, my first sober funeral. It was a squadron mate. It was seven, six or seven months. So I had that seven month tip in one of those pockets. Mm -hmm. I could feel it. And after we left the funeral, we were going to the VFW to celebrate his life. 
So the other thing I heard in the rooms was cranberry juice, club soda, and a lime. And I and I thought, oh my God, it even sounds fancy. And there's no alcohol in it. What? I feel so normal. Cranberry juice, club soda, and a lime. And I was holding it when somebody walked up to me. She was a drinking buddy. And what are you drinking? Cranberry juice, club soda, and a lime. There's no alcohol in that tea. And I said, yeah, and everything okay? <laughs> yeah, I pulled out my chip and I showed it to her. And she she had questions for me about her drinking. Mm-hmm. And I went to my home group. Wow. Someone said, we will intuitively know how to handle a situation which used to baffle us. Mm-hmm. But that chip, that seven-month chip was in that pocket in my uniform and I felt compelled to show it to a former drinking buddy. And it was such a relief to be in the sunlight of my truth, sober, while participating in honoring a fellow squadron mate who had passed away. It was powerful. Absolutely powerful. That's a great story. Nikki D. Thanks so much for joining us. This yeah, is just thank you great. so much. Thank you. I'm so glad. This was thank wonderful. You. Thank you for your service today. It's time for listener feedback. Hey, folks, we want to hear your comments. Call 212-870-3418 or write us at podcast at aagrapevine.org. Hi there. My name is Tracy D. from Buffalo, New York. I've been listening to the podcast since um, March 2023. I'm coming up on eight months on the 19th of uh, July here. And I have to say that ever since a friend of mine told me about your podcast, it's been a real pleasure to pop on the podcast, especially on a really lifey day. And uh, it takes me out of the itty bitty crappy committee where the board meetings are non-consensual and incredibly loud. So I really appreciate you guys and everything that you do. The stories touch my heart and makes me laugh, cry, and just all sorts of everything. And it pumps up my day. So thank you guys for all the service that you do. And God bless. Thanks, Tracy. Congratulations on eight months. That's wonderful. I, too, sometimes have a, like that, a lifey day when there's just too much life going on. And I like, you know, I remember the first time I heard about the committee in my head. Those board meetings, sometimes I think they're against me. (laughs) I'm glad you're listening. We've got an email from Gary in Edgewater, Florida. I spent a lot of time the last couple of years in hospital and doctor parking lots due to my wife's health issues, and your podcast has helped so much during those times. After I listened to all the current ones, I would start over and listen again. (laughs) It's kind of like reading the big book. I didn't see that before with your podcast. I didn't hear that before. (laughs) Thanks for the podcast. For your humor, service, and humility. Gary, thanks so much for writing into us. I'm glad that uh, the new technology that's available to us today that makes our recovery available to us pretty much anywhere helps you out during that tough time. Hey guys, this is Jennifer from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was calling to say thank you for all of the times that this podcast has helped me when I couldn't get to a meeting or 
crazy hours and work or travel or just a million different things and how much this has helped me get through some really bad times and pulled me through that 15 minutes of torture to get to the other side and just having a friend and listening to the podcast with the two of you laughing and joking and having a great old time and giving me some company and some fellowship. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And happy two year anniversary. I love it. Congrats guys. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm glad that you're enjoying the podcast and hey, we're not a glum lot. We try not to be. I also love to listen to podcasts when I'm going through a rough patch just to get a little boost. I'm glad we've been able to help you out. Thanks for listening. If you're like this alcoholic and this alcoholic, there is never, ever enough. Stick around after the close for a little extra. Oh, yeah, I'll have some extra. Hi, folks. What stories do you tell about the big book? Was there sometime in early sobriety a passage suddenly lit up for you? Did you struggle with the passage? Perhaps you have a fond memory of reading with your sponsor or group. Tell us your favorite big book memories. Stories are due October 15th, 2023. Visit aagrapevine.org to submit. I'm at the very wit's end. Cuckoo. An historic shot snot from November 1958. Two drunks found themselves walking along a railroad track. Sam, I believe this is the longest flight of stairs I ever saw. Never mind the stairs, it's this low handrail that worries me. (laughs) (laughs) It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Folks, it's time for hashtag heard in a meeting where we scour the interwebs for your posts of cool things you've heard in a meeting. Post them on social media with hashtag heard in a meeting, not pound sign done. Keeping in mind our (laughs) tradition of anonymity. And you can also email those. You don't have to post on social media. You can email those to podcast at aagrapevine.org. Here's what caught our attention this week. So we've got a couple that were emailed to us. One I don't understand God, so I don't say 
the God of my understanding. Instead, I say the God of my experience. Mm. Ooh, I like that. What I like to say is made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as I now understand him. I can start where I am and wherever I am is the right place to be. Sam, I thought you were going to say the one I've heard in meetings, which is the God of my misunderstanding. Uh, that's, that's the one I've heard. <laughs> that's a good one too. The God of my experience is really good because it's I don't always understand. Like I'm at the point in my sobriety that I'm very grateful for that I Especially when it's tough. I truly believe that everything is happening for a reason. Just like that acceptance in our big book, 417, it's like everything is exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. But I don't always understand why or how things came to be. So yeah, the God of my experience is really good. I like that. Dee, do you have any thoughts on that one? That's a great hashtag. And I don't understand God. What I'm grateful for (laughs) is that I can use G-O-D. And so my first sponsor started me with good orderly direction. Uh, Military, hello. (laughs) Yeah, super easy. But I I understand good orderly direction, work steps, and and it has evolved into I got to see the Northern Lights while I was at work a couple months ago, and it popped into my head, grand optical pants. I love that. It's And then I have so many other examples, gift of desperation. So I don't understand how a group of drunks does all of this for me. I know that a group of drunks is a wonderful God for me, D-O-D, D-O-D. And not understanding for someone that's very happy with math, science, black and white, not understanding is a beautiful place to be. I love that. And I like the idea that God of my experience is what I had to do when I came in was I gave up on my idea of what God was and just went along with it. So like I allowed that there was a God. And then what happened was I had an experience like you described, D, at different times where I was overwhelmed with this feeling that there's I'm connected to something more than me here. Sometimes in a meeting, sometimes in a prayer request, it happened to me one time, and sometimes in nature. And then I just reattached the word God, the God of my experience, to the real thing that happened to me. Love it. That's fantastic. All right. So here's another one. This was sent to us by Mark W., in Emporia, Kansas. Oh, this one's great for military too. Let's run with this. As someone who can be known for some salty language, a sign on the wall at a California Alano club pops into my mind when I do swear. It said, refraining from the use of profanity will offend no one. Y'all don't have any profanity in the military, do you? No. (laughs) They stopped allowing that in 2012. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Take it, Nikki. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. And thank, I mean, my sponsor, thank God, she is also, she says she has the mouth of a sailor. She goes, with you and I, I, like, we'll swear when we talk, you know, at each other. But one more time, sorry, she goes, we don't swear in meetings because you never know what it's going to trigger in somebody, what it's going to offend. And the last thing you want to do is turn somebody away because of how you communicate. 
in meetings, when somebody swears, just a little part of me cringes. And I go, you know what? I was taught not to do that. I'm not going to go, you know, message them or pull them aside after like, we really shouldn't do that. If it was my sponsee, yep, that's my job. I step in. But otherwise, I, you know, I, I don't have any control over that. It's not my business. But that's great. Yeah, you'll never offend somebody by not using profanity. That's very true. <laughs> D. Oh, my goodness. Well, the military and some professions, too, that that's just part of the vernacular. I, I was at a speaker meeting where it was a female speaker and he had not been in the military, would have fit in very well with salty language. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, maybe somebody needed to hear what she had to say, as well as another thing that pops in my mind like they could relate to her a little bit more the other thing is well bless them change me and mm. because I'll, I'll be honest when <laughs> I was flinching with, with all of the and and then five minutes into it I okay comparing the comparing quit comparing out hear the message not the mess and then I stopped even hearing it for the duration of her story so it happened it does yeah what I like about that hashtag is that it just takes into mind other people. And I don't mind profanity. It can be powerful. So it's some way to really express a strong emotion. For me, it's just a word. But if I'm thinking of others, then I have to take mm -hmm. into account their feelings. I've seen that sign also. And where I saw it was particularly uh, notable to me because it was in a church basement. And one of the things that came to mind is being respectful of the host of the place. Yes, that meeting is renting space from that church, but why would I be disrespectful to the people that are letting us rent space? Well, there you go.